Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. You ever have one of those times where there's like 40,000 things you want to say, but you know you can't for time purposes or whatever, you just don't have time? I'm in one of those moments right now. I, I sit up here and look out at you, and sometimes I pray, and sometimes I just thank God, and sometimes I see someone that has been gone a long time and has come back and sometimes I see somebody that's really going through a hard time and I know it and I'll pray for them or whatever and um, man there's just all kinds of that going through my head right now so I need to move on we need I need to start preaching that's what I need to do Uh, I love you guys that's really what I'm trying to say I love you guys Um, we are in a message series called thou art with me and it's the story of Joseph not Joseph the the uh, husband of Mary the mother of Jesus but Joseph in the Old Testament who wore the coat of many colors and last week we talked about really the down times in Joseph's life I mean it's I don't know what you're going through I know some of you are going through some really hard stuff I, I you talk to me and email me and we pray together and and uh, there's some really really hard things being experienced in this room right now and I know that and, and, and I'm careful as I say this because I certainly don't want to disrespect any of the hardship or pain or struggles that anybody's going through in the room but you would be thankful most of us if not all of us in the room this morning would be thankful that we didn't go through what Joseph went through uh, we I don't know that any of us ever had a, a, a discussion happening over us while we were in a pit that our siblings had thrown us into and the discussion was should we sell him or should we kill him sell him kill him you know they're weighing that out Joseph's in a pit waiting on his brothers to decide his fate, sell him or kill him. So I doubt that's probably ever happened to you. Your brothers may have talked about killing you, but, but doubt, doubt that it happened. Um, obviously didn't if you're here. But um, then he goes on, he gets, he gets sold into slavery. He's in a foreign country, doesn't know the language, doesn't know anybody. His brothers tell her, his dad that, you know, a bear or a lion or something like that ate him. Just not cool, and and he then he gets he winds up in prison through no fault of his own. He does the right thing, but he gets kind of set up and framed and gets thrown into prison. He's there for a long time, just not not good at all. And uh, so I don't know what you're going through, but it could be worse. You could be Joseph, and um, Joseph had some really down times. Um, the message today is where we're going to switch gears a little bit and switch tracks. For some, this is very very relevant stuff because. Many of us today have been blessed by God far beyond anything we ever thought or imagined. Some of you today have very little to complain about. You're very prosperous. Not everything is perfect, and so you might, you know, could find something to complain about. But things for you are going very, very well. You have position. You have income. You're making more money than you ever thought you would. Probably some of you living in a bigger house than you've ever lived in. Faster cars, prettier wife, the whole deal. You know, you got the whole thing. It's just, it's, as Bill Hybels would say, it's all up and to the right. Everything in your world is up and to the right. And, and you would say, you know, I, I, I don't know how I could get any better. Here's the thing that we're going to talk about today. We are far more susceptible to abandoning our dependency on God in up times. In up times. When things are going great, that's when you run the biggest risk of thinking to yourself, I don't really need God. There's nothing like prosperity to distract us from our faithfulness to God. 
There's nothing like prosperity to distract us from the reality that we are really walking with God, God's walking with us, and somehow, even when Joseph obtains all this wealth and all this power that you're going to kind of see in this story over the weeks that we're in it, he never loses this perspective that is so difficult for us who've been blessed and for those of us who've been prospered to maintain. And he models for us and challenges us right now, those that are headed up and to the right, he models for us how to do it. Life has never been better. Here's the challenge today, and here's the question. How do you live your life? What do you do when you have been so prospered by God? And how does a man or a woman who's been blessed in material and physical ways, what does that person do to be able to maintain that perspective? You know, some of us would say, well, I don't really know. Well, the answer that I want you to be able to give is my only responsibility is to simply live every single day as if God is with me. That's what I want to hear you say. My responsibility is to wake up in the morning and, and to respond, God, I know you're with me and I'm going to go through this day knowing that you're with me. How does a person who has a lot maintain that perspective? How do they keep in mind the question, what does a person who has a lot to do if they were absolutely confident God was with them? How do they handle all that? We, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. As you're turning there, I'm going to bring us up to speed because if you'll remember last week in the story, Joseph has been thrown into prison, not for anything that he did. He's been thrown into prison because he's been set up. He, he had met these two guys who had also been thrown into prison. He'd, been, he'd met a baker and he met a cupbearer to the king you don't know what a cupbearer to the king is he's the guy that tastes the wine before the king tastes the wine and if it's got poison in it he dies and not the king so you know that's a really interesting job i don't know that i would want that job but but anyway whatever happened this baker and this cupbearer to the king get thrown into prison uh joseph is um somewhat he's kind of attained a little bit of rank he's still a prisoner but he's enjoyed some favor in prison and he's got some leverage, I guess, and he meets these guys and starts talking to them. Well, these two guys have dreams. And one of the things Joseph's really good at is this ability to interpret dreams. So these guys start spilling their dreams to Joseph, and Joseph tells them what their dreams mean. Now, for the baker, it's not good news. He looks at the baker and says, um, dude, they're going to cut your head off in three days. Not good for you. In other words, translation, modern-day English, it stinks being you. That's, that's where we, what we would say to the baker. But to the cupbearer, he said, in three days, you will be back handing wine to Pharaoh. You're, you're going to be restored. Everything's going to be great for you. And so, sure enough, three days later, they come and they take this guy and they install him back at his position as the cupbearer to the king. The baker, they take out and they cut off his head. Now, just before the cupbearer to the king goes back to Pharaoh, Joseph looks at him and says, hey, please remember me to Pharaoh. Well, one of the things we learn is that while Joseph, throughout this story, that it's said of him, and the Lord was with Joseph, we realize at the end of uh, chapter 40 that Joseph's not real crazy about being in prison. Can you imagine that? Somebody not happy about being in prison. He says, you know, I don't want to be in here. Remember me to, the, to Pharaoh and get me out of here because I don't want to be in here. So the last line we read last week was Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. It's the last verse in, in chapter 40, and it says this. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Pharaoh. Or I'm, I did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph languishes away in prison. 
Genesis 41, verse 1. When two full years had passed, and we read that, and we go right by two years, right? You read scripture and it says something about, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days with nothing to eat. And we go, oh, he was in the wilderness for 40 days with nothing to eat. No, dude, 40 days, nothing to eat. You know, don't fly by that. You got to download 40 days that guy didn't eat. In this case, two years after he said, remember me, he's thinking this guy's going to go straight to Pharaoh and tell him all about his story. And he's waiting every day. Surely today's the day they're going to come understand that I'm innocent. I don't belong in here two years Joseph is in prison when two full years had passed which puts him in Egypt now for 13 years Pharaoh had a dream he was standing by the Nile now here's what happens in these dreams that Pharaoh has first of all he 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 has this dream that there are seven good fat cows that come up out of the river and they're grazing on the reeds and then all of a sudden these seven ugly cows come up and, and they're scrawny and nasty looking, and they're, you would not want to have anything to do with these cows. There's flies flying around. Bad cows. Just bad, bad cows. I had somebody tell me this morning they bought cows yesterday at an auction. I'm like, yeah, I do that every day. I buy cows at an auction. Anyway, these cows are ugly, not good cows. But the, the bad cows eat the good cows in this dream that Pharaoh has. He wakes up, says, that's odd. Goes back to sleep, has another dream. In this dream, he dreams of this wheat that grows up and it sprouts this head this you know this wonderful wheat uh grain and and um, um it's very healthy and then another stalk of grain grows up next to it and and it's scraggly and worn and it doesn't look good it doesn't look healthy that doesn't look you know there's nothing right about it and the unhealthy ones devoured the healthy ones and pharaoh has this dream and he says you know i I wonder what that means so we come to verse 8 in the morning his mind was troubled so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt Pharaoh told them his dreams but no one could interpret them for him and this would be a this is what we would call in the Bible an awkward situation these are the guys that are supposed to have an answer for Pharaoh they don't have an answer Pharaoh's laying out what his dreams are they can't tell Pharaoh what they what he's dreaming and you know it's just crickets they're all like you know what don't know what that means not not the the thing that you want to say to pharaoh so he says i've had these two dreams i want to know what they mean somebody tell me what they mean then we come to verse nine we read the word then (laughs) then as in finally as in at last as in oh it's about time you realized i've been in this dungeon as in way to go cupbearer for finally coming to your senses and remember me then the chief cupbearer said to pharaoh today i am reminded of my shortcomings so now this this cupbearer is going to suddenly remember oh yeah there's this guy in prison his name is joseph and he interpreted a dream and all of a sudden he remembers and so you know we read that and we think okay what took so long ask yourself couldn't God have just had the cupbearer go straight to Pharaoh and remind Pharaoh of Joseph and, and plead his case? But the Bible says that two years passed. Do, do, do you wonder why two years passed? Do you wonder sometimes in your life how, you know, eventually something that you've wanted or eventually something you were hoping would happen or that you thought, God, this makes total sense. If you could just work this out, this would be perfect. And eventually you get to perfect 
but you go through all kinds of trouble in the meantime and then when it when you finally get there you go okay god i'm really i'm really thankful i'm really appreciate i really appreciate it but why did you take so long why did we have to go the long way to perfect so that's one of the questions that one would have as they as we read this why does two years have to pass what took so long why doesn't god always do for us instantly the things we want done we aren't always told we learn later that in this case god is up to something but the point is the cupbearer remembers joseph and he turns to the king and he says oh yeah i hate to bring this up but you remember when you threw me in prison you threw me in prison and i went down there and there's this guy down there the, the baker and i both had dreams and he told us what our dreams meant sure enough he said that in three days things were going to start happening and three days later things started happening you cut off the head of the baker you restored me to my position that guy is down there in prison somewhere and he can interpret dreams if you could get to him and get him to tell you what these dreams mean then you're golden then you got it all figured out verse 14 so pharaoh sent for joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon when he had shaved and changed his clothes he came before pharaoh so they dress him up you don't go in front of pharaoh looking like you just got out of prison you you know you you dress up you you take a bath for crying out loud so they do that for him verse 15 pharaoh said to joseph i had a dream and no one can interpret it but i have heard it said that you when you hear a dream can interpret it now here's the truth for joseph that everybody in this room can identify with if if not now eventually all of the sudden joseph is faced with the opportunity of a lifetime that's all of us there's going to come a point in your life maybe it's already happened for you maybe not if you're young i'm telling you there's a point in your life that's going to happen when you stand in front of your great opportunity whatever it is this is the person who can hire you and make everything in your life completely change you, you you've got an opportunity and if this person says yes you are golden Okay, this is the this is the grand this is the dream of a lifetime. This is the job of a lifetime. This is the trip of a lifetime. And you're on the verge of it. And if the right people say yes, if you can get the right people convinced, then great things are going to happen for you. If that has not happened in your life, it probably has. And if it hasn't, or if it, it <laughs> I said that wrong. For some of you, that has already happened. You've already had your moment where you look back and you go, man, that thing changed my life and I'm better for it. But some of you are young enough yet that you haven't come upon that time yet. This is great information for you to have. Basically, we would say to Joseph at this point in the story, Joseph, you are on the precipice of great things. This is your opportunity of a lifetime. Don't mess it up. Don't say the wrong thing. Don't put your foot in your mouth. Make sure you button your collar, you look him in the eye, all that kind of stuff. Joseph, don't mess this up. Remember who you're talking to. This guy thinks he controls heaven and earth. This guy thinks he's God, Joseph. Don't mess it up. Don't say the wrong thing. Don't offend Pharaoh. You're lucky to even be in his presence. You're lucky that he even wants to talk to you. Most people, you'd, Joseph, it would be a really good idea if you only spoke when you were spoken to. Okay, Don't, don't go running off at the mouth you just need to wait till he asks you something and then you answer but joseph knows the situation he's in and he knows he's standing in front of a powerful man and he knows that this guy can change his destiny forever so what do you do when you are faced with that kind of opportunity what do you do when something big comes your way what do you do when you're talking to the powerful people that will 
if they will just do what you need them to do, if you can find favor with them, your whole world turns. Everything changes. What do you do? And what does it look like if you face those circumstances with the confidence that God is with you? That's the question. Be careful, Joseph. Don't mess this up, man. Don't say the wrong thing. This is the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Let me ask you something. Why do we get so intimidated when we have that great, big, huge job interview? The one that could change our life? The one that if I can just land this job, this is the dream job, I'll have more money, I'll be able to go on vacations, I'll be able to save some money. Why is it that when we come to those big moments like that, oftentimes we just... We, why do we lie? Why do we exaggerate? Why do we make ourselves look like, try to look like more than we are? Why do we um, somehow in those circumstances, we lose sight of the fact that God is with us. We lose sight of the fact that all the great things that happen in our life happen because God loves us and is providing for us. But somehow in those moments, many times we fall into a trap of thinking that it's our responsibility that it's our stuff, that we're the ones that are making all these things happen in our life, and that I'm awesome. And if I can just get you convinced that I'm awesome, but, but see, the pressure comes in me trying to get you convinced that I'm awesome. Because if you don't think that, you're not going to hire me. So we exaggerate, we do a lot of things sometimes we shouldn't do. Why is it that we fold? Why is it that we cave? And sometimes we act like different people, and we respond in ways that we normally wouldn't respond. What happens is simple. Somehow opportunity, somehow seeing the next rung on the ladder creates for us a pressure, and it does more to shred away from us our confidence and our faith in God than just about anything else. And so we buckle. But what would it look like to face the opportunity of a lifetime with the confidence that God is with you? What would that look like? Check this out. He looks at Pharaoh. (laughs) Verse 16. Pharaoh's wanting to know what his dream means. He looks at Pharaoh and he says, I cannot do it. Wrong answer, Joseph. We just tried to give you some advice. Just tried to set you up. Just tried to show you how not to do this. The last thing you want to do is go in there and say, I cannot do it. That's how he starts off. I cannot do it. I I know you shaved me. I know you put some clothes on me, freshened me up, brought me here to interpret your dream. I know that your, my future is in your hands. I know that if, if you want it to be Pharaoh, I am dead meat. All you've got to do is say the word, and I'm toast. I get all that. Verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. And this is where it really gets dicey. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. At which point, everybody in the throne room does this. <gasps> Please tell me he did not just use the word God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh thinks he's God. Pharaoh thinks he owns everything. Pharaoh thinks he knows everything. You don't reference another God to Pharaoh. Have you lost your mind? You had this moment. It was in your hands, and you blew it by bringing some religious thing into it. You you idiot. You don't talk about God to Pharaoh. And you certainly don't tell him that God is, is going to know something he doesn't know. You're not handling this very well, Joseph. You fake it. You pretend. You suck up. You do whatever it takes to get Pharaoh to say, oh, you are really a special guy and I really like you. You don't bring God into it. 
But do you know what Joseph did in this high-pressure moment? Joseph did what he does all the time in his life. He steps into the moment confident that God is with him. Now, that sounds simple. And you say, well, Brett, what difference does that make? I'm telling you, when you begin to live your life confident of the fact that God is with you, things are going to be different in your life. You won't shrink back in those opportunities. You will have a confidence that you otherwise don't have. The cool thing is that it's not a confidence in you, it's a confidence in God. There's a really cool thing that happens when you get to that place where you know you can trust God. And it's not just a slogan, and it's not just something that you see spray-painted on a bridge abutment or something like that, but it's, it's really the truth in your life that you say, you know what, I, I really believe that I can trust God with this. He did what he'd done all his life. He acted as a man who was confident that God was with him. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires, he said. So, in a miraculous twist here, Pharaoh does not chop off Joseph's head. I mean, that's what these guys were thinking was going to happen, but it didn't. Verse 25, let's skip down. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. And Joseph now, Joseph's going to stick the knife and he's going to twist it some more. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. I can't tell you how offensive this would be to Pharaoh. Basically, Pharaoh, there's something you don't know that my God knows. And by the way, I've been in your town for about 13 years now, and I've been down in the dungeon most of the time, and I'm not even from here. We don't even have the same gods. And you're ignorant about some things, Pharaoh. That's really what Joseph is saying. But the God I serve has done so much for me (laughs) lately. Been in prison. You want to know him, Pharaoh. He's pretty awesome. Let me tell you what he's done since I was 17. The God in whom I've put my trust, he will reveal to you the dream. So he tells this dream, and Joseph says, the dreams, Pharaoh, are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And then he says, look, the seven cows thing, that means we're going to have seven years of a lot of great stuff. I mean, all we've got to do is just drop seed, and stuff's going to grow. I mean, we're going to have more stuff than we know what to do with. Our storehouses are going to be so full. For the next seven years, you are going to see production like you've never seen in your life. You're going to be blown away by how much stuff we have. But Pharaoh, after that, it's going to be bad. There's going to be famine. As bad a famine as this land has ever seen and all the surrounding land as well. So there's going to be seven great years, tons of stuff. We're going to be fatter than pigs. And then for seven years, nothing. It's going to be, I mean, it's just going to be just a big dust bowl is all it's going to be. Verse 32. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. Not you, Pharaoh, been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Pharaoh, God, the God you don't know, who decided not to speak to you or your magicians or any of your people, he spoke to me. That God has made up his mind and is firm, and this is what he's going to do. Now, in such a huge moment, why would he talk to Pharaoh like that? He talked to Pharaoh like that because he was acting as someone who was confident that God was with him. And then a very strange thing happens. Joseph runs off at the mouth as if he hasn't already put his foot in it. I mean, the people that are watching Joseph are like, man, I cannot believe this guy. Now he's going to go further, and you're going to see he, he kind of steps over the line if you're the other people watching you would think oh oh that's not good 
So he's got this whole thing going, and since he's already telling him what the dreams are, now he decides to tell Pharaoh how to run his country. And you ask yourself, on what grounds does he have to do this? Who does he think he is to tell Pharaoh how to run the country? Pharaoh, listen, buddy, because I've been running your prison down there. You know, they kind of put me in charge. And that thing's spick and span. I got that thing going so good, you wouldn't believe how good prison's going down there because I'm pretty stinking awesome. And I've gained some leadership experience. And so now, um, since I've got the prison so organized, I'm going to tell you what you need to do with the rest of the country. And, and you know that the people that are sitting around watching this happen, unfold in the throne room, are, are thinking, okay, this is where Joseph's head literally comes off. This is where they just take the swords and cut it off. So he lays out his plan for Pharaoh. You would have to know that God was with you to do what Joseph is about to do. And now, let Pharaoh, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you do not talk to a sovereign like this, okay? You don't talk to a sovereign like this. You speak when you're spoken to. You answer questions as they get asked. You don't volunteer this kind of information. This is just the way, you didn't do this in an ancient society. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Implication, Pharaoh, this job is too big for you. You're not smart enough to handle this. You need help. What is about to happen, Pharaoh, is so big, it's beyond your ability. You need to find somebody else. I know you've got some sharp people around here. You need to find one person and put them in charge of the whole project. Verse 34, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food and at this point you, you can kind of imagine joseph looking around saying you guys writing this down you know you got, you got to get this plan down because this is the way this needs to happen verse 36 this food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. You guys get that? You're writing all this down? This is how this needs to happen. You can't even imagine how offensive this should have been to Pharaoh. Here's this kid. He's probably about 30 years old now. And he's speaking this broken Egyptian. He's got this Hebrew dialect going on. He probably learned his Egyptian in, in Potiphar's house when he was working for Potiphar. And he's telling him what to do. Why would you do that? Simple. When you believe that God is with you, you step into those moments. When you embrace this one simple truth that God is with you, you will find the strength in the lowest of low times and you will maintain perspective in the highest of times. Verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. Now you ask yourself, why in the world would he listen to a Hebrew slave? And the answer to that we found last week because we kept reading it over and over in all the passages because the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 38, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God is, is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and of all my people, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge 
of the whole land of Egypt. I mean, after all, I've known you for a whopping 35 minutes. So I'm just going to put you in charge of everything. I mean, that makes, you know, because that happens to me every day, right? I mean, I just spend 35 minutes with somebody, and they just give me the keys to their kingdom. Well, well, Joseph, you know, I've been listening to you. Why don't I just put you in charge of the whole thing? Could something like that happen? Absolutely, if God is with you. You see, we underestimate. We, we do not understand, and don't lose sight of this. When God brings along a big opportunity, that is not an excuse to lean less heavily on God. That's when you lean into God. That, that's that's when, when God brings success. That's when you go, oh my goodness, if I ever needed God, it's now. And God can leverage beyond your wildest dreams if we don't make the mistake of allowing prosperity and opportunity to divert our attention away from dependence. But if we will allow those things to drive us even further into dependence on God, it's amazing what God can do. And if we would just continue with all the good things going our way to simply wake up every day and say, in light of everything that's going on and in in light of what would someone do who was in my circumstances if they were absolutely convinced that God was with them? Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. He comes in as a 17-year-old slave. At 30 years old, he is the prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world. And he was the same man from day one to the day he was 30. He did the same thing. He said every time, what would a person do? who was absolutely convinced that God was with him. That's what I'm going to do. Now he has all this power, all this wealth, all this influence, and we're going to see next week, he simply woke up every day and he said, how would a person like that behave behave if God was with him? He goes out, he implements his plan. The result is higher taxes for Pharaoh. Everything's great for Pharaoh. By the time he's done, Pharaoh ends up owning just about everything. That when Joseph locked and loaded on a plan, he was faithful to Pharaoh. Here's something that you need to understand. He was faithful to Pharaoh. He did not leverage his power for his own ability and for his own gain. He took what Pharaoh gave him and he gave a return to Pharaoh. He leveraged it for Pharaoh. He didn't say, well, you know, Pharaoh put me in charge, so it must mean that I just get to keep all this stuff. He simply did what anybody would do with a great opportunity if they were confident that God was with them. Now, here's the challenge. Let's get specific for a minute. Because we're, we're a blessed people in this room. I mean, we really are. By virtue of the fact that you have been born in the United States of America alone, you've been blessed. I, I was just in Catalyst, at Catalyst down in Atlanta. with We took a, a team of 12. And um, when you're at an event like that, they show you all kinds of stuff. And I saw pictures, movie pictures of just some horrible things that happen around the world. And you, you watch that stuff, and there's just no way that you... I don't care how much money you've got in the room this morning. I don't care, I don't care what's going on in your life, whether it's all good or all bad. I don't, I don't care about any of that. When you see the pictures I saw this weekend, and you just think to yourself, man, I was born in America. Why do I deserve to be born in America? So we have this prosperity thing going on. Most of us live in bigger houses than our parents did. 
A lot of you are making more money than your parents ever dreamed of making. A lot of you are in circumstances that things are way better than you ever dreamed they would be. And I know there's some ups and downs, and I know there's some transitions, but, and I know life's not perfect. But did you know we are set up as a group of people to lose sight of who we're trusting in because prosperity does that to people? Prosperity does that to people. Prosperity makes people think they don't need God. When things are going great, that's when, that's when it's, it all, you know, they just say, well, I don't need God anymore. You know who the hardest person for me to talk to Jesus about is? It's the guy with the beautiful wife, the beautiful car, 2.5 kids, great job, vacations in all the right spots, membership at the country club. I can't talk to that guy about Jesus. How come? Because he doesn't think that Jesus is doing anything for him. He thinks he's doing it all on his own. He thinks he's awesome. He thinks, I got all this, and I don't go to church, and I don't love God, and I don't think about God. Why would I think about God? Prosperity sets us up. You, you pay attention. People don't walk away from God when things are bad. That's not when people walk away. People walk away from God. They get distracted when everything's going good, when everything's great, when the storehouse is full. They're like, well, you know, I'm golden now. What do you do if you've been prospered? What do you do if you're confident God is with you. I want to give you three very specific things that Joseph did. And these come right out of the story. These are, these are specific things that you and I need to remember. And it, it's hard every day in the, to, to, to walk and live in the confidence that God is with us. Uh, it's hard to wake up every day and, and make every decision through the lens of what would someone in my position do if they were confident God was with them. When you've got just about everything, it's hard to maintain that attitude of dependence. So, so what do you do to make sure you don't slip? Need drives people to God. When we prosper, the tendency is to lose sight of God. And we all know more than a few people who failed the prosperity test. So how do we pass the prosperity test? Here's, here's the three things. First of all, declare your dependence on God publicly. Publicly declare your dependence on God. Joseph did this right up front. Pharaoh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Your dream is going to be interpreted, but you need to understand I'm not going to be the one that does it. Okay, God is going to be the one that does it. I, I'm going to tell you, but you need to know I'm completely dependent on God to tell me what your dream means. So he, he right up front declares his dependence on God. And that, I know, if that makes you cringe, if when I say you need to publicly declare your dependence on God and you go, you've already failed the, the prosperity test. If you see that and you go, ooh, I, that's hard, then you've already failed the prosperity test because you're, you're getting into a place where you're not leaning into God the way you need to. If you were in need, you would talk about God. You know how I know that? Because we have people knock on our doors and call our phones all through the week who are in need. And when things go bad and things go south, it's like, man, I want to get to the church because the church is going to tell me about Jesus and I, I need, they're going to help me. But in your prosperity... If you can't bring it up, you're failing the test of prosperity. And you've begun to live your life as if God is not with you. You've got to find a way. And I don't, and I don't mean just by publicly declaring your dependence on God, I don't mean putting a fish on your car. Okay? There's nothing wrong with a fish on your car. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I'm talking about finding meaningful, significant, engaging ways to help people understand that when you're making a decision, that God is with you in that decision. You need to make people, un you need to declare it. I'm depending on God to help me with this. 
State your dependence. Don't be afraid to do that. Number two, leverage what you have for others. I think, and we're going to see this more next week, but Joseph, with all that wealth and all that power, does not leverage his wealth for himself. He makes sure that Pharaoh gets taken care of. He never leveraged it for himself. He recognized that when God has blessed you monetarily and position and power, he's not blessing us because of us, nor is he blessing us for us. He's blessing us for others. When you hold what you have in your hands and you look at it and you go, oh, that's all for me. No. God gives to you so that you can not only be blessed yourself, but that so that you can be a blessing to someone else. For you to look at what you have and think to yourself, if you've got $100 in your hands right now and you think, I've got $100 for me. You do not understand that $100, and you do not understand why God gave you $100. He's not just blessing you because of you and for you. He's blessing you so that you can be a blessing to somebody else. Men and women who understand this lean hard into God, and they live as if God is with them. And when they've got $100, they say, well, okay, some of that's probably to be used for me, but I'm not going to assume that all of it is. And the person who gets this will leverage things for others. The person who doesn't, they'll cling to it. They'll hoard. They'll lock it all up. And they'll say, well, I can't, you know, I've got to hold on to this because what if? What if I lose my job? What if, a, what if a recession happens? What if? What if? And there's just all these things. And we make up all these things that half the time, most of the time, don't even come to pass. As if God couldn't handle it. As if God's not big enough. See, God could handle my stuff, <laughs> I remember I used to drive a 75 Gremlin, okay? Chick magnet. 75 Gremlin. And until my sweet girlfriend, who's now my wife, bought me a really cool cassette player, it had an 8-track tape player in it. I didn't have any money. I had a little rinky-dink job and a 75 Gremlin. But God could take care of me then. What happens now that I'm, I, and I'm making more money today than I've ever made in my life? All right, I, the house that my family lives in today is bigger than any house we've ever lived in. And I find that I am less inclined to be generous now than I was when I was younger. What is it about us? When we have a lot, we cling to it and we hold on to it as if somehow God doesn't know how to handle all this money we've got. But when we were young and we were stupid and we were dumb, we was like, yeah, here, you need a dollar, I'll give you a dollar. We were way more inclined to share when we were younger. But suddenly something happens when we get all this money and we don't trust God anymore. And it's as if God says, wait, you trusted me with nothing, but now that you've got something, you think I can't handle that? I don't know, God, that's a lot. You think you can handle all that? Joseph understood this. He understood that God blessed him with unbelievable power and opportunity, not because of him and not for him, and throughout his life, he leveraged that for the benefit of others. You're going to see it at the end. Here's the principle for you. Do not hoard out of fear something that God controls. Do not hoard out of fear something that God controls. That's a bad place for us to go as believers. Number three, remember where you came from and where you are. Skip down to the, verse 50. Joseph has, has built in these living reminders of where he had come from and where he's going. Verse 50. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget 
all my trouble and all my father's household. So he names this, this first child of his a name that means he, you forget the lean years. And every time he saw him, every time he held him, he thought, you know, I, I'm, it's helping me to get past that bad experience. F- verse 52, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Ephraim was a reminder of where he was and how God had blessed him. And he built these in as he named these kids. He said, I want these kids to remind me of where I've been and where God's brought me to. His sons were reminders constantly. I've got two things I want to show you this morning. You'll get a kick out of these. The first one, how many of you were here the first Sunday in May in the year 2000? It was my first Sunday as the pastor of the church, and I preached a sermon from Genesis 12. And if you remember, you walked in, and on every chair I had a plastic fork. How many of you were here for that? That is awesome. I, I still have my plastic fork. And here's why I gave out a fork. You guys are going, fork? That makes no sense to me. Those of you who weren't here, like, why would he give them a plastic fork? The premise was this. The church had been through a lot. There were some people who were really upset. <laughs> I took over, and there's people who are still upset. I, uh, but I said, look, God's been really good to our church. And I used the illustration of the, the, the mom who fixes a great meal for everybody, and we enjoy this wonderful meal. And then she starts to collect all the dishes off the table, and she says, you ever heard someone say, hang on to your fork? And why are they telling you that? Because dessert's coming. And so the fork uh, analogy was, we've had some great years as a church, and God's going to give us more great years. And I gave everybody a fork, and I said, hang on to your fork, because the best is yet to come. And think about just in the last 11 years. And, and again, you've you got to hear my heart. It's not because I've been the pastor. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That is not what I'm saying because I don't take credit for what's happened in the last 11 years. But you have to admit, if you've been around here, God has done some pretty amazing, incredible stuff over the last 11 years. And when I handed out this fork, when I look at this fork in my office, I would get depressed if I lost this fork. This little piece of plastic, you have no idea what this little piece of plastic means to me personally. And I look at that and I think about the time when I stepped into being the pastor of this church scared to death. I'm still scared to death. I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if you figured that out yet. I don't know what I'm doing. But when I handed these forks out, I was petrified. But I was completely, I probably was never as dependent on God as the day I was when I handed these forks out. And I look at that fork today, and I remember God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And I see how God has showed up. And I see how he absolutely backed up the promise, the best is yet to come. He said, I, "That's some, you're doing that for me, I can get on board with that. So when I look at that fork, that fork means something to me. That's where I've been. Now I want to show you something else. I have a picture in my hands. I'm going to put this up on the, the screen for you. Who is that handsome devil right there? First thing you notice is he's, he actually can grow a head of hair. I actually can. It would be all gray now, but I could still do that if I had to. I was 17 years old in that picture. I want to tell you, that's a, that's a pretty innocent kid right there. That, that kid right there is... There's a lot of the world he hadn't seen. There's a lot. 
I have a lot of exit ramps in front of me in that picture. I got a lot of experiences yet to happen. I've got a lot of mistakes to make. Those eyes are going to see things they shouldn't have seen. Those hands are going to touch things they shouldn't have touched. I'm going to walk places I shouldn't have walked. That young man's going to grow up into a flawed, flawed, flawed human being. But when I look at that picture, all I see is a kid who had no idea that God was going to put him as the pastor of such an awesome church. You have no idea how humbled I am and how week after week after week I see this church just do unbelievable stuff and I walk away and I go, God, that church is awesome and you got me leading it? What are you doing? What are you thinking? Do you know? Do you understand the mistakes I've made? Do you understand how flawed I am? Do you understand how I don't deserve this? Are you sure? I look at that picture And I look at where I'm at today. And I look at the faithfulness of God. And I go, oh my goodness. So you need to find some things to help you remember where you came from. And help you to see where you've come to. Reminders that God is with you. Reminders that God is not going to forsake you. He's not going to walk off and leave you. He's been with you this whole time. So when those big moments come, you step into it and you say, I'm going to behave as a person who was confident that God is with me. This is what I can tell you. I could not pastor this church outside of the confidence that God is with me. I know how bad I am. I know how, how I struggle. I know how susceptible I am. If God is not with me, I'm in huge trouble. And so I'm, I'm with you. I'm trying to learn this lesson. How would I respond if every day of my way, life I woke up with the thought and the assurance and the confidence God is with me? And if you're a Christian, he is with you. What difference does that make for you tomorrow morning? What difference does it make when you walk out of here today? Leave this place convinced God is with you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Step into the big moment. Leverage your opportunity, not for yourself. Leverage it for God. Let's pray together. Father, would you please remind everybody in this place where they started? And would you help them to look over their shoulder now and see those places where you have absolutely been there? And God, it's true, many of us in this room this morning making more money than we've ever made, living in a bigger house than we've ever lived in, we don't deserve it. And God forbid that even for one minute we think we have attained somehow those things ourselves. They are gifts from you. And God forbid that we would look at the things we have and think, well, this is all for me. It is not all for me. Help us to see how we can leverage what we have for the benefit of someone else and be a blessing to you in the process. Help us, Father, every single day of our life to wake up and say, how would I live, how would I respond if I was absolutely convinced that God is with me? And then help us to do that. And in so doing, we will be an inspiration to others. And in so doing, we will be more generous. We will be wiser. We will have a greater influence, and in the process, we will bring people to Jesus. Oh, God, we love you. We love you.
It is in Jesus' name we pray.